a long time ago, I used to be a background actor, or what's sometimes referred to as an extra. This means that I've appeared in a few movies in a non-speaking way, and always in the background somewhere. And while the roles were minor, they were also somewhat important depending on the film. And the funny thing about my job experience is that whenever people find out that I was a movie extra, the first question that I'm always asked is, what movies are you in? Now, I usually keep this to myself, and I don't bring it up for a few reasons. The roles I played were insignificant. Someone else could have easily played my role, and it would not have changed the amount of money that the movies made at the box office. Another reason that I keep it to myself is I don't want people to spend time going through the movie or through the movies looking for me, like where's Waldo <laughs> in the background, which some folks here have done. <laughs> because imagine sitting through a movie focusing on one detail in the background. What would that do? This would lead you to miss out on the whole point of the movie. And you know what? It's not so uncommon for people to do this. It's possible to do this not only with movies, but also with the Bible. And this morning, we continue our sermon series in the book of Jonah. Today, we come to a chapter of Jonah that most people remember for the book for, which is the big fish that swallowed Jonah. Now, like my background experience, we don't want to make the book of Jonah all about the big fish because doing so can lead you to miss the whole point of the book. This chapter and the book in general is not about the great fish. Rather, it's about a great God who is merciful and compassionate towards sinners. So last time in chapter 1, we saw God's compassion in pursuit of sinners. And if you're taking notes this morning, the big idea for today is God's mercy to his people, and it's demonstrated in his discipline and salvation. And we'll see this in two points, two main points. The first point is Jonah prays. The second point is God saves. Jonah prays, God saves. So please open your Bibles with me and turn to Jonah chapter 1. And we'll pick up from verse 17 and read uh, through the rest of chapter 2. And if you're using one of the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, it's found on page 774, 774. And please keep your Bibles open as we will be spending time looking at the entire passage throughout the sermon. And we'll make observations as we go along. Jonah 1, 17 through the rest of chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. 
Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, a few weeks ago, when we started this book, I mentioned that the genre of this book is that it's a minor prophet. And not because it's insignificant, but instead it's because of its length. And while the book is part of the minor prophets, its genre is mostly narrative. The only prophecy that we find in the book is the one mentioned in chapter 1, verse 2, where God calls Jonah to take his word to the Ninevites. And our passage for today is unique in that we find a poetic song-like prayer sandwiched in between this narrative. And we'll unpack that more as we go along. But to recap, let's look at a brief summary of what happened in chapter 1. Because in chapter 1, we learned of God's compassion to sinners. There we, we found that first, God had commanded Jonah to take his word of judgment to the Ninevites. But Jonah attempted to flee from the presence of the Lord. Then we saw that God pursued him by hurling a great wind, which created a great storm on the sea. Next, we find out that God rebuked Jonah through the captain of the sea, using the same words used uh, to give to Jonah in his command to go to Nineveh, arise and call out. And after that, God exposed Jonah's sin. The sailor casts lots, but it was the Lord who revealed Jonah as the culprit. And finally, God disciplined Jonah by judging him. Though the sailors were the ones who hurled Jonah into the sea, it was all according to the Lord's good purpose. And in these series of events, the Lord shows his compassion by pursuing Jonah but also by converting, converting the pagan sailors and saving them as well. And this is where we left off last time, with the rebellious prophet persisting in his rebellion and rejection of God. And as a result, God uses the sea as a means to judge Jonah by giving him what he wanted. As we continue... Let's briefly look at what happens in the opening verses of our passage for this morning. First, in, in 117, we're giving a foretaste of God's mercy to his prophet as we are told of God's salvation. We pick up in verse 17 there. Look with me. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. The passage begins with Jonah being swallowed by a great fish that was appointed by God. Now, what's interesting about this is that the unexpected happens. Jonah rebels against God, but God saves him 
via great fish. And we'll find out why this happened as we continue. But what's important to note here is that this salvation takes place after Jonah comes to an end of himself. Then in verse 1 of chapter 2, we have an introduction to Jonah's prayer. We're told that Jonah prays to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Finally, Jonah prays. Remember that in chapter 1, Jonah refused to pray. The captain of the ship had found Jonah sleeping while everyone cried out to their gods. And when he was found, he still refused to cry out to his God. At every step of God's pursuit of him, Jonah refused to turn from his sin and to turn to God. But here we find Jonah praying. So what happened to him? What led him to pray? Well, to be clear, this prayer is not a prayer where Jonah is asking for help. No, it's actually a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the salvation that Jonah received through the fish. We learn about that in the details of Jonah's experience in his prayer. In this prayer, we find an account of God's discipline, Jonah's repentance, and God's salvation. And if you're taking notes, we come to our first main point. Jonah prays. Jonah prays. One of the first things we notice about Jonah and his prayer is that he recognizes his need for God. He recognizes his need for God. We know that Jonah recognizes his need because he turns to God in prayer, something that he had resisted throughout chapter 1. God's judgment and discipline of Jonah led him to turn to God. Jonah had thought that running away from God was better than obeying God, and it seemed like he didn't care if it cost him his life or if he had to be tossed overboard in the ocean when he told the sailors to do it. But all of a sudden, once he's in the water, it didn't seem like a good idea anymore. So he prays a prayer of supplication. Now keep in mind, this is what's going on as Jonah tells us or he invites us into his experience. Jonah's prayer here in verses 2 through 6 Tell us of Jonah's experience when he got thrown overboard into the sea before he was swallowed by the fish. Do you see it there in verse 2? It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. The distress that he felt was from the danger he experienced when he was in the sea. And we know this because in the second half of verse 2, Jonah completes his thought by telling us that he cried out of the belly, not of the fish, but of Sheol. Now, in the Old Testament, Sheol was used to describe the grave or the land of the dead or the underworld. So in essence, what Jonah is saying here is that he cried out to God out of the belly of death. And what happened when Jonah cried out to the Lord? Well, if you look there, it says that the Lord answered him and heard his voice. Here we have a revelation of God's character. Here we're told that 
God is not like vengeful Jonah. Earlier, God had sent to take uh, sent Jonah to take his word, his word of judgment, to the wicked Ninevites. But Jonah began to put the pieces together and realized that if he were to take if he had taken the prophecy to the Ninevites, there was a possibility that they would repent and believe and that God, because he is merciful, would forgive them. So Jonah resisted because he wanted them to be judged. And as a result, Jonah rebelled against God and deserved to be rejected by God. But God didn't do that. Instead, God responded with mercy Now, why would God do that? Isn't God holy? Isn't God just? Doesn't this go against God's character? Well, God does this because in verse 1 of chapter 2, we're told that Jonah cried out to his God. God remained faithful to his promise to be the God of his people. And what else does Jonah's Uh, What else does Jonah recognize in his prayer? Well, Jonah recognizes that it is God who was disciplining him. In verse 3, we read, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah acknowledges that he was being disciplined by the loving hand of God because of his rebellion. It was God who casted him into the sea by the hands of the sailors. It was God's waves and God's billows being used to draw Jonah back. Jonah's response pictures what we're told in Hebrews 12, 5, 6. 12, 5 through 6. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God wasn't disciplining Jonah just because God was having a bad day or just for the fun of it. God disciplined Jonah out of love to get him to snap out of the folly of his sin and to wake him up. God disciplined him because he loved him. So God's discipline made him feel the weight of his sin. And if you look there again at 5 and 6, we read, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This was a painful situation. God's judgment for Jonah's sin was serious. Serious because God is holy and because he is just. Jonah's running away from God and running to sin was a running after death itself. And after refusing to turn to God time after time, again and again, God gave Jonah a taste of what he wanted. It was as if God was saying something like, I'm pursuing you because I love you, but you don't want to return to me. You want to be away from my presence? Okay, I'll give you a taste of what you want. 
and God let him feel what it would be like to be separated from him. In verse 6, Jonah says that he went down, so far down that he was at the roots of the mountain to the land of the dead. Just as Jonah wanted to flee from God's presence, and he wanted to flee in the opposite direction from, from where God was sending him, God allows him to go into the opposite direction from where his temple or his presence was located at the top, at the temple in the mountain. And now he found himself at the roots of the mountain. Here we are reminded that God goes to great lengths and uses the most effective means to awaken his people out of sin so that they would see his need, their need for help. So Jonah acknowledges his need for God. And Jonah also doesn't try to justify himself. He acknowledges that God's discipline is just and rightly deserved because he had rebelled against God and would not repent even after God pursued him. Jonah displays the actions of one who acknowledges his sin and repents. After acknowledging and accepting his sin, Jonah turns from looking to himself and begins to look to God. In verse 4, we read this. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah looks to the temple, the place where God's presence dwelt, the only place where hope was found. He did that because he felt the separation that his sin had caused between him and God, and he had been driven away from God's sight. The words driven away here carry the meaning of being banished from God's presence. And here we have a frightening realization that Jonah comes to. He realizes that he was being banished from God's presence. It's a similar language to that used back in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned against God and were then driven out of the Garden of Eden or God's presence. Now, if you've ever experienced God's discipline after resisting and rejecting over and over again, this is the worst feeling that a man could feel, man or woman. Imagine resisting the hand of God to the point where you begin to feel God's heavy hand upon you as he calls you to repent from your sin. But you resist and resist and resist until one day you feel the terror of being separated from God because you love your sin too much to repent of it. Then you realize that nothing else in this life matters if you're not right with God. And here you can think of Jesus' words. What is a prophet a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? In other words, what good is it to proclaim or to claim, similar to what Jonah claimed back on the ship, I am a Christian and I fear the Lord when you know that you don't fear the Lord because you won't turn from your sin. What profit is there in doing anything in life if you're 
not right with God. And at the end of the day, you lose your soul. This is what Jonah came to realize. This is what led him to say, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look at your holy temple. Jonah recognizes the seriousness of this sin, and he looks to God for salvation. Now, brothers and sisters, this may be you this morning. Maybe you've been resisting God as he has been convicting you by his word and his spirit, and you've resisted turning from your sin. Maybe you're feeling the weight of your sin and feel as if you can't come back to God. Or maybe you feel like God won't hear you. If this is you, Jonah's prayer teaches us how to respond when we find ourselves in this situation. If this is you, don't despise God's discipline. Turn from your sin and turn to God. It doesn't matter how deep uh, you may feel you're in. Look to God and cry out to him, and he will show you mercy. What you also don't want to do is to say to yourself, God's disciplining me. I understand that. But he'll also save me, like he saved Jonah. I'll wait until he saves a well to save me, or a fish, right? No, this is not the attitude you want to have. Don't take God's patience and love for granted, thinking that it's a license to sin. His patience and love are meant to lead you to repentance. So do so today and be made right with God. So from the belly of the fish, Jonah tells us that God's discipline led him to recognize his need for God and therefore turn from himself and turn to God. The next thing we're told in Jonah's prayer is that he receives God's mercy. This is our second subpoint. He receives God's mercy. This is the turning point in Jonah's experience. There in the end of verse 6, we read, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Yet you. Some of the sweetest words that rebels can hear. God could have given Jonah what he deserved. God's full wrath, eternal death, and separation from him. But God doesn't do that. God was willing to not give him what he deserved and instead shows Jonah his mercy and his grace. The account of Jonah's experience sounds similar to what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 where he writes about God's grace offered to sinners. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God's discipline in Jonah's life was an act of love. God saved Jonah's life. You brought, me, you brought up my life from the pit. God put Jonah in the pit, and God brought him back out from it. 
God deserved, Jonah deserved to be put in the pit, but he didn't deserve to be brought back out from it. But God did it because of who God is. He is merciful and loving towards sinners. God disciplines his children, and this discipline is done out of love for his children. Praise God. We also see God's attentiveness to Jonah's prayer. In verse 4, we see that Jonah's Jonah's repentance as he turns from himself and looks upon God's temple. And here in verse 7, we're told that Jonah's prayer went to God and into his temple. Jonah's prayer accomplished its purpose. He asked for help, and God answered. And his prayer demonstrates his repentance, and God received it. So we're given an account of Jonah's repentance as he prays to God in faith. Jonah recognizes his helplessness and need for God and thus calls out to God for help. And then receives God's mercy. He's brought up from the pit of death as a response to his repentance and faith. What a great picture of repentance and salvation. In Jonah, we have a vivid example of what it looks like to come to an end of oneself and to place one's trust in God. All of this leads us to the prayer of thanksgiving or to the portion of thanksgiving within this prayer that uh, that he offers from inside the belly of the fish. We see that Jonah recognizes his sin. Jonah receives God's mercy, but he also responds with thanksgiving. He responds with thanksgiving. Read there uh, verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. We continue to see his process of repentance in that Jonah expresses with his mouth what was taking place in his heart. Similar to what happened to Zacchaeus when Jesus came to the appointed place and looked up at Zacchaeus and told him, I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus' repentance is seen in the salvation that came to him and in his response where he says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jonah responds to God's salvation with thanksgiving, promising to give sacrifice and to fulfill his vows because of what had taken place in his heart. Now, in Jonah's time, he would have had to go to the temple, which was the place where God would meet with his sinful people. And Jonah's sacrifice would have involved him going to the temple with a perfect animal sacrifice, one without defects or blemishes and he would have to offer it to God as an expression of his thanksgiving for saving his life from death for us today though if you're a child of God we don't go to a physical temple to offer an animal sacrifice because Jesus has become our meeting place with God through the perfect sacrifice of his own life as a response to our salvation we are now called to live, living, live as living sacrifices to God, 
holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual worship, according to Romans 12. Our sacrifice can include a wide variety of things, such as our time, or our money, or our promotions, or our desires, maybe even our life. This is a lifestyle that comes as a response to the Lord's work in our life. Because when we were dead and deserving of His judgment, He saved us. Now, if you talk to different Christians about their conversion, you'll find that many of the testimonies that you'll hear deal with how many folks had to hit rock bottom before crying out to God for salvation. And for some of us, that's what it took for us to see our, the seriousness of our sin and our need for God. If this is you, then you can identify with Jonah. If this is you, let me ask you, do you still marvel at the fact that God shows, has shown you mercy instead of his wrath? Do you continue to thank God for saving you? Not just the first time, but every time that he's shown you his saving power. We don't always do this, but I encourage you to take some time today or this week and revisit the experience that you had where, where you were when God reached out and saved you and thank God and praise him for allowing the circumstances that led to your salvation. It was his loving mercy to you. So let this drive you to a life that proclaims his name and lives for his glory. Now for Jonah, what was the alternative option? Well, in verse 8 we read, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. The alternative of turning to God was to pay regard to vain idols or to worship idols. It's a reference that, that can possibly be pointing to the sailors who had turned in prayer to their gods in the storm and how they found that it was useless to turn to idols when they were in their near-death experience and how Jonah, in the worshiping of himself, it was useless when it came to being swallowed up by death. Turning his back on God meant turning his back on his only source of true hope, God and his steadfast love and mercy. So Jonah 1 and Jonah 2 teaches us that to persist in the worshiping of idols, or that is anything or anyone other than God, will lead to forsaking God and his steadfast love, God's salvation. But to forsake one's idols will lead one to persist in God's love. This realization led Jonah to proclaim with a new understanding that salvation belongs to the Lord. This was not just the theological truth that he was reciting. No, this was a proclamation of a man who had witnessed the salvation of the Lord. It's like when the Israelites were being pursued by the Pharaoh and they came to a dead end with nowhere to go and Moses told them to stand and witness the salvation of the Lord as he parted the sea in half. This is Jonah's proclamation of the gospel, of the good news. 
Here we have a man who was created by God and for God. And Jonah was called by God to carry out a specific mission. He was called to obey. And when he was called to obey, he fled his responsibility. He rejected God and then he resisted God, which was a rejection of God himself. But in love, God pursued Jonah and brought judgment on him for his sins. And it drew Jonah back to him. Jonah learned about the folly of rebelling against God, which leads to death. He learned to turn from himself and to trust in the Lord who saves. This is what Jonah's prayer testifies of. We saw that Jonah prays and was delivered. But how does God save Jonah? And for what purpose does he do it? This brings us to our second main point. God saves. God saves. Read verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, and chapter 2, verse 10 with me, the brackets. These verses end, these verses um, begin where our section starts and where it ends. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up out out upon the dry land. The first thing we learn about God's salvation is that God appointed the means of salvation for Jonah. For Jonah. We see God's sovereignty over his creation once again. We saw it all throughout chapter 1, and we see it here again in verse 17. God sent a great fish to rescue Jonah from the depths of the sea while he was drowning. And if you look at 2.10, we read that God spoke or God commanded the fish and the fish obeyed by spitting Jonah out. And like I mentioned in, in the beginning of the sermon, while many people focus or put their focus on the, on the fish, we must make it clear that this is not what this book is about. We want to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the fish was simply an extraordinary means by which God brought salvation to Jonah. While God uses the fish as a means for salvation, some refer to this fish as a means to reject this book as being real, a real historical account of what God has done. So let me say a few things about the fish. The fish was the means of salvation. And we can trust that the great fish in this book was a real fish because of the following things. In chapter 1, we see that it is God's word that came to Jonah. This is something literal that happened. And when Jonah runs away, it's God who hurls a great wind upon the sea, which results in a great storm. That was something literal. And here we see that God appoints a great fish to save Jonah. That, again, is something literal. There's no reason to reject that this really happened. And we aren't told what kind of fish this was. But most people, as different coloring books would show you, think that it was a whale. And we could try to figure out what kind of fish this was, but this would lead us to lose our focus because this is not what the book is about. If the Bible told us 
that Jonah was saved by a goldfish. We should believe it because God can do that. After all, he is the Lord of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And if we're tempted to doubt the validity of this, I want to show you why you shouldn't doubt. Let's think about a few things for a minute. If God can speak the world into existence from nothing, if God can part the seas in half for his people to cross on dry land to save them from persecution, if God can send manna from heaven to feed his people in the desert, if God can use a donkey to speak to another rebellious prophet, if God can preserve his servant in a lion's den that were hungry, and we could go on, if God can do these things, then surely God can appoint a great fish to save his repentant child from death at sea. So God not only appointed the great fish to save Jonah, but he also appointed the fish to accomplish his plan of salvation. First, the fish serves to display God's mighty power and freedom to save anyone from any circumstance. And this is comforting because it shows us that for God's people, when we are enticed by sin and we reject him, God is powerful enough and willing to save you if you repent and believe. Last week, we heard from Pastor Jeremy that God loves his people and is for his people in that he brings his people before his throne and brings his people all the way home. Well, Jonah had fled God's presence, but was tossed into the sea in order to bring him back before God's presence. He was summoned, not for retribution, but for restoration, as we saw last week. God accomplished this in the sending of the storm, tossing Jonah into the sea, and once he repented, he sent a fish to save him. So we see God's love in all of this. And the last thing we see in the pointing of the fish is that it points to the way that God has made to save sinners. We see then that God appoints, God accomplishes, and last, God acquits his servant. Once again, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This passage points us to the New Testament where we have a complete picture of salvation that God provides through the cross of Christ. And we read this in Matthew 12, 38 through 40. And if you want to turn there with me, we see that right here. Matthew 12, 38 through 40. Here we read. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In this chapter in Matthew, Jesus had just finished healing a demon-possessed man who was 
blind and mute. And some Pharisees accused Jesus of performing this miracle by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. Jesus then rebukes the Pharisees for speaking those blasphemies against the Holy Spirit and warned them of the day of judgment. That on the day of judgment, people would give an account for every careless word that has been spoken. And the scribes and Pharisees then demand a miraculous sign to prove by what authority Jesus spoke to them in that way. And this is where Jesus says, only an evil and adulterous people would demand a sign proving my authority. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. You see, Jesus knew that he had come to this world to go to the cross. And Jonah was a sign that pointed to that. Here we find Jesus who is greater than Jonah in every way. We see that in that Jonah was judged by being thrown into the sea because he was guilty of his rebellion. But the New Testament tells us that Jesus received the judgment of his people on the cross, even though he was innocent. We also see that Jonah was thrown into the belly of Sheol by God and had a near-death experience. But Jesus willingly went into the belly of death and actually faced death. And Jonah was spit out on dry land after three days and three nights. And in a similar way, Jesus was raised from the dead after three days and three nights. And it is because of this that God offers mercy and salvation to all sinners. He provides mercy and forgiveness while upholding His justice. If God is holy and God is just, then He can't just ignore sin. Something has to be done with that sin. And so Jesus paid with his very life to uphold God's justice and make a way for salvation for all who would repent and believe. Praise God that salvation belongs to God, that God is the one who appoints the means of salvation and offers it to his people. Now, if you're visiting us this morning and you know yourself not to be a Christian, we welcome you and we're thankful that you're here. And this morning, you've heard me address Christians. And you've heard me talk about a rebellious prophet who receives God's mercy. And you may be wondering, well, what, what does this have to do with me? How is this relevant to me? Well, the book of Jonah is, relevant, is as relevant to you as it is for any Christian here this morning. Because Jonah teaches us about the sovereignty of God. That God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything beneath the sea. And about his right over our lives as our creator. And we learn that like Jonah, we have all rebelled against God by rejecting him and running away from him. But God, in his kindness, has been patient with you by not giving you what you desire and what you deserve because of your rejection, which is to be handed over to death for an eternal separation in hell. Instead, God has appointed a means of salvation for you in His Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world 
and like Jonah was judged with the great difference. Jesus was innocent while we are not. God offers you free and full forgiveness if you would follow in Jonah's footsteps by repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus Christ, the Lord of salvation. And if you have any questions about this, please feel free to ask whoever brought you, ask me, ask any of our pastors, and we'd be more than happy to tell you more about this. Now, in conclusion, so far in the book of Jonah, we've been learning a lot about him. In chapter 1, we were introduced to Jonah, the rebellious prophet, who continued to resist God as he pursued him. And in chapter 2, we find Jonah, the repentant child, who turns from his evil ways and turns to God. But we also learn a lot about God. In both chapters, we learn about his great God, who is merciful and compassionate to sinners. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll find that there's a little Jonah or a lot of Jonah in all of us. But praise God that he's not like us. He is patient and loving, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to repentance. I pray that we would be the kind of people that live lives of turning from sin and putting our trust in God because he is the Lord of salvation. Let's pray. Oh, merciful Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging that we have not loved you as we should. We confess that we all have rejected you and have resisted you when you've called out to us, calling us to turn from our sins to turn from our evil ways and turn to you that we may live. And we acknowledge that we deserve to be separated from you for an eternity. But we praise you that in your son, Jesus Christ, you have pursued us. And we're told in the Bible that Jesus came into this world to seek and to save the lost and that he has given his life as a ransom for many. We praise you that in Jesus we have salvation, and we praise you for being the Lord of salvation. We pray, Father, that you would help us to remember this great salvation that we've received and that we would go and proclaim this great truth to all people, whether in our homes or our neighborhoods or at school or at work. We pray that our lives would be offered as living sacrifices that proclaim your salvation for the glory of your name. We thank you for your great work of salvation in Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.